So, are you suffering with the current freeze that's happening across the country? I am, but my cockles are warmed by the thought that we've done this 50 times. 50 episodes of the rank cast. It's a pretty impressive number, isn't it? 50. And there are people still listening to us. <laughs> What's wrong with them? What is wrong with them? It's not as impressive, of course, as uh, Manchester United fan Mick Hucknall, who today apologised for sleeping with 1,000 women between 1985 and 1987. A very impressive number indeed. He apologised for it, did he? He, he apologised for it. He said, I'm very sorry about the philandering. You know who you are. <laughs> or you might have forgotten too, because there's a thousand of you, and chances are at least one of you's forgotten. Well, frankly, frankly, if I'd slept with Mick Hucknall's ginger, ugly face, then I would, I'd probably want to forget too. Harsh, very harsh. The man's a red, Ed. You're not supposed to talk like that about reds, are you? This is, this is true. I remember also, I think, while we're on the subject of Mick Hucknall, we should bring up the fact that you were a pretty serious Simply Red fan when you were about 14. Yeah, we, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And, and I, I will maintain their first album was half decent. <laughs> yeah, but you, you had stars. Don't tell lies. No, I didn't buy that. I didn't. You did. You totally did. And you bought the CD single of Lady Godiva's Room, if I'm not much mistaken. Anyway, enough of airing Ed's musical Dirty Laundry. He has excellent taste nowadays. Let's have a discussion about a very special individual performance. I mean, actually, it was, of course, a great team performance. But <clears throat> one, two, three, four, five goals for Dimitar Berbatov. As if he's, he's actually scored, uh, I think, what is it, like eight in the last 12 now but they they came all in two games which is slightly unfortunate but what an incredible feat that was and what an incredible performance from the whole team yeah I mean as I think I mentioned on the site it's just on those days when everything came together Berbatov obviously uh, I thought Rooney had an excellent game as well playing another thing I think we should think talk about really playing a lot deeper than he has done in the past and this is something we've we've gone on about on the Rancast again and again and again I probably sound like a broken record but I just think it makes sense for Berbatov to be the principal striker and for Rooney to be playing number 10 you know about 15 to 20 yards deeper and uh, it worked and it was a great all-round performance I thought Raphael was fantastic Nani had a great game too um, Rooney and Berbatov were unplayable you know, the old football cliche and it was uh, it was just one of those games where many of the things that United haven't done well this season they did do well uh, Anderson included uh, he was excellent but talk about energy in a true box to box midfielder we've got uh, not the new Ronaldinho he plays like that but the new Brian Robson yeah, and, and what higher praise could you give someone than the new Brian Robson? Anderson's passing statistics were absolutely out of this world in that game, and the passing was effective, and obviously, I mean, we created just an abundance of chances. Um, I think at some point Blackburn did give up the ghost and somewhat stopped playing, uh, and the scoreline became a complete and utter kind of whitewash. But it was brilliant to see that killer instinct in United because those goals could be crucial you know and when we're we're on top in matches like that and, and creating chances at will to be putting so many of them away special mention for Berbatov's hat-trick goal uh, anyone that ever says he's lazy believe he started the move at the edge of his own box and uh, succeeded in ambling his way up to the penalty spot where he, he finished beautifully a fantastic goal one of my favorite goals 
of the season. I agree. I agree. It was a, a great team goal, and you know, Berbatov deserved that hat trick. And uh, and the other two that went with it, a really good performance from him. And I, I think actually he listens to the rank cast like many United players because every time we slag off one of the players, they come out with a stunning performance. I I believe we wrote off Park Ji Sung the the week before he scored twice. So yeah, perhaps we do it a bit more. Who, who's had a bad game this week? Well, John O'Shea. Eleven of them against West Ham. Yes. Yeah, but in in, in much as in United's extraordinary performance against Blackburn, special mention is worthy for Rooney, Nanny, and uh, Berbatov and Anderson uh, against West Ham. Special mention is due to Anderson for his rather poor performance coming off the back of that. Johnny Evans, oh Johnny, and when Johnny goes marching down the wing, O'Shea, O'Shea. When Johnny goes marching down the wing, O'Shea, O'Shea. When Johnny goes marching down the wing, all the linesmen gather together and sing, "Please don't hit us, Johnny." Shoot towards the goal, because because what the heck? Uh, that was that was a shot up there with Jeff Thomas's miss against France in the early 1990s. Yes, that that brought much merriment among the uh, six thousand travelling fans. That one, it, it was a horror game, and I don't think there are very many people in the side that can be proud of their performances against West Ham. And actually, I think for for all the criticism that's been made of the younger players, and there's been some quite harsh media criticism, I actually think it was the senior pros that let United down. Now, yeah, Obertan, wonderful with the ball at his feet, seems to have absolutely no clue of the game going on around him. Bebe, as we've mentioned before, just not a right winger, is he? Really, really suffered out there. Uh, Fabio, great going forward. Uh, some lapses in concentration at the back. And uh, Johnny Evans, awful. Just awful. I mean, I, I feel sorry for the lad because I actually think he's got plenty of natural talent, but he, he gets bullied and teams target him and it's the second time this season I know we beat West Ham 3-0 at Old Trafford early in the season but Carlton Cole gave him a real hard game that day as well and someone needs to tell him to get in the gym and it, you know he might actually benefit from a loan spell he's been that poor just to yeah, get some confidence be playing every week and he could because he just won't be at the moment playing like this I mean it's unbelievable how far he's fallen uh, down the pecking order Johnny Evans I mean he, he did have a really 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 impressive spells last season um but but this season he seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. And the the key problem, of course, is that Smalling and Evans really can't play together yet, and that when Rio or Vidic are not there, the the, the when either of them play alongside Rio or Vidic, they look okay. I mean, Smalling's looked excellent. Uh, Johnny Evans has looked okay. But when the two of them play together, uh, they, they they do not look like a very potent defensive force no they don't I, I also think uh, Cusack's an issue oh, as well yeah. and, and, and I don't think he instills very much confidence and, and he blows hot and cold as a play. he actually had a, a spell last season when he was pretty good Yeah, but he doesn't seem to be able to put in those consistent performances and, and you know maybe that's because he just doesn't play very consistently and, and uh, we're, we're asking too much to expect him to turn up once a month and, and have a good game but um, I'm, I'm almost certain he'll I mean Lindegaard's confirmed now deal's signed He'll be joining in January. Cusack could go as early as January because Lindegaard can be added to the um, Champions League squad. And uh, But if Cusack doesn't, he's definitely gone in the summer. I mean, he's, he's out of contract in 2012, so he'll be into the last year of his contract. So, and, and he's nearly 30, so they'll be looking to get a fee, probably not very much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you sort of, th- there was some rather unkind speculation on Twitter during the game that perhaps uh, he might be going to West Ham. <laughs> um, and uh, that would explain his performance because it, it was pretty woeful. Uh, but the, the whole team was poor. I, I can't really think of too many redeeming qualities apart from Fabio going forward. Um, 
it's only the Carling Cup. You you were there. What was the atmosphere like? Fantastic, actually. Yeah, um, I mean, it was very very cold and uh, pouring with snow. And but yeah, there were loads. You know, I think we took six thousand down to West Ham, and everyone had a great time. Plenty of great good atmosphere. I mean, we've mentioned this before. The atmosphere on the road is always always much better than Old Trafford. And uh, there was a lot of gallows humour, as you'd expect. And unfortunately, the uh, We're Man United, We Do What We Want song came out quite a bit. Um, uh, it, it Tongue-in-cheek, I suppose, when the West Ham goal was chalked off, the, the first one. <laughs> uh, right, r- rightly so. But um, given how long West Ham celebrated, it, it, uh, it did feel a good moment for that song. Uh, but, but the rest of the game, uh, I mean, there's that banner on the Stretford end, isn't there? Uh, not arrogant, just better. I'm afraid this is um, not better, just arrogant. <laughs> and it's, um, I'm not sure I like it, but, you know, half-heartedly join in. I mean, uh, I, I don't really like it, but I do find it funny nonetheless. I do, what I like about it is how enthusiastically it gets sung. I don't know, it's good. There, there was, uh, it, it was kind of cool. I, I, I spoke to you on the phone when all that kerfuffle was going on. You were trying to work out what was going on and why the goal had been chalked off and, and all that stuff. Um, uh, it was just fantastic to hear, hear the noise in the background. Uh, that was that was, was a good moment. Talking of good moments, not going to be many tomorrow. Uh, everyone is spared the chance of Blackpool on a Saturday night because the match is off. No undersoil heating for the tangerines and that orange kit is not warm enough. Real, real, real shame, real shame. I was, I was actually looking forward to this game. I, I think I think Blackpool have done great as a club this season. Obviously play some good football. I, I, I love Ian Holloway for his humour and candour. Uh, I, I think Blackpool deserve this big game, and uh, you know it's a big good good day out for all the fans that are going. Uh, except maybe not the one guy who's hired a camper van and he's taking it up there in minus four degrees. Uh, well, he won't be now, so he'll be saved the pleasure of parking his camper van on Blackpool Beach amid the howling gale that will be going on. Hmm. Yes, uh, it's probably probably for the best for him. Yeah, I, I like Ian Holloway too. I think everybody does, really, don't they? And of course, the if it had been snowing then the tangerine kit would have gone nicely with the classic 80s orange ball. Yes, it, it would have done. I, I, I did it this time of year, you know, bring out the coloured balls. Why not? Good fun. Um, and, and I think that essentially Fergie could have played Evans and Smalling uh, in that game and then it would have been like 28 to 27 to United because there would be so many goals scored in that game because every, every game Blackpool play there's thousands of goals scored they're, they're refreshing aren't they I mean it, it might not sound I know they've got picked up quite a few points and they're, they're doing okay but sides do tend to work out the newly promoted sides in the second half of the season don't they yeah. and and you do tend to, I mean, you know, I'm saying this off the top of my head. I'm not backing this up with any kind of actual evidence <laughs> or statistics here. I'll caveat that. Uh, but but I would, I, would, I would say that many newly promoted sides score less points in the second half of the season. And, um, and Blackpool might, be, might have some trouble with the fact that they play so open. I, I, I really like the fact that you just properly made up a statistic, but you sounded incredibly convincing. If you, yeah. had, if you hadn't caveated it, I would just have assumed it was true. Well, I do actually like to research my pieces when I when I do the writing and not having those stats to hand. Maybe someone can go out there and find it for me. <laughs> yeah, you, you like to research things when you do the writing and save the random ill-informed speculation for the podcast because that's, uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, it is indeed. And of course, um, one more game in the coming week, isn't there? Valencia not uh, turning up at Old Trafford for the dead rubber that is the Champions League round six? Yeah, I mean, they can, they can still top the group. 
group if they beat us, right? Uh, I think that's true, actually. What are they, are they three points behind? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, come down to goal difference, and and of course that could be significant because top place plays one of the second ranked teams in in the the first knockout round. I mean, it doesn't always equate to an easier game, does it? But, no, uh, you, you know, presumably you want to play the teams that are not in super form. Well, also, like, if you can avoid being in the pot, which means that you might have to face Barcelona, then that's probably a good thing. Or, or indeed Madrid. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, apparently not, because apparently Barcelona are uh, a West Ham to Real Madrid's Manchester United. That They didn't look particularly impressive against uh, Barca this week. But I have to say, even though we're, we're uh, incredibly United-focused and we don't talk too much about the wider world of football, there was a lot of United-related interest in the Clasico this week. And uh, Cristiano's boys took a hell of a beating. Did you see the game? General Franco, <laughs> your boys took one hell of a beating. Yeah, I, I did see the game, yeah, along with the, the rest of the planet, it seemed. Very, very impressive from Barcelona. I mean, they were they were awesome. And, and they started the season kind of slowly. I mean, I, I, I do like Spanish football, so I watch as much of it as I can. And, uh, they, you know, by their very high standards, they haven't always been great in the, in the first part of the season. Whereas Real Madrid have been playing some really nice football, some really attacking football. But I think... Uh, the fact they've got so many younger players in their side at the moment kind of told and I think they had some didn't they have something like six El Clasico debutants or something like that I mean you know quite a few anyway that that kind of did seem to show didn't it the other thing I thought was incredible like this is Jose Mourinho and and I, I know we, we earlier this uh, season on the podcast we did actually praise the fact that uh, Real Madrid were playing some very nice attacking football but you know Jose Mourinho who took Inter Milan to Barcelona last season and defended for the entire 90 minutes and uh, in fact invented a brand new tactic which was giving the ball away deliberately <laughs> in order to keep your defensive shape and they went to Barcelona and they, they played Ozil in the hole and they played a very attacking formation they were very open and uh, they got completely hammered for it they did it's Jose Ed it's Jose I can't believe you still you're still after all these years calling him Jose Mourinho yeah, it's, you know what it's just habit I think Jose, I'll edit this in, Jose. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, it's interesting you mentioned Ozil. Ozil was totally and utterly missing for that whole first half. Cristiano, of course, could never go missing. And I did want to get your thoughts on everyone's favourite petulant superstar, uh, giving a little shove, tap, push to the opposition manager. Well, what do you make of that? To me, it seems whatever the manager does, you, you can't be going around pushing the opponent's manager. No, and he obviously wanted the ball back, but yeah, it, it was not... It was not sporting, and I, I, I didn't reflect very well on him. And I, I guess that was some annoyance with how the game was going. Uh, and uh, of course, it got very nasty towards the end, didn't it? And you know, Madrid almost completely lost their temper. I mean, you know, Ronaldo's still got that in him. He's still got that little bit of. I mean, I don't even know petulance the right word. I mean, it's, a, it's now a football cliche, isn't it? But it's, it's that kind of arrogance that he has that I think he takes, and, and that sense of entitlement. I think I think that petulance is not only the right word it's it's a perfect example of the richness of the english language because it is the absolute perfect word he is petulant he behaves in a extremely childish and entitled fashion um and is very impulsive and all those things kind of meet together to to mean that petulance is the perfect descriptive term for for ronaldo's less attractive behavior but leo messi as fantastic as he was in that game not not immune to criticisms over his conduct, the the rather delayed reaction to getting elbowed in the face, for example. Of course, 
Lionel Messi is no saint really when it comes to some of his behaviour on the football pitch. He's he's dived before. He's actually put in some pretty rough tackles. There's there's this sort of you know mini cheating of pulling shirts and and waving at the referee, and he does do all of that. And and you know I I think for all his football brilliance, he does have that slightly darker side to him. But not not as uh, I would say not in in um, the same way as Ronaldo. He doesn't seem to have the the same kind of ego that Ronaldo has. Anyway, is that enough talk about people that don't play for Manchester United anymore? I think it is, isn't it? Well, of course, there's Cristiano Ronaldo and there's Gerard Piquet on the other side. So, you know, some United interest. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting, actually, just before we leave it. I've always, you know, in the Classico, I've always felt that the Classico was as close an example of good versus evil as you can get in football. You know, Barcelona never had a sponsor, UNICEF, all that stuff versus General Franco's evil racist Real Madrid. I know this is complete nonsense, by the way, but yeah, that those broad brushstrokes. But and so I've always kind of leaned towards the uh, left wing appropriate Barcelona. The advent of Jose Mourinho and and Cristiano being at at Madrid has has meant that my loyalties were a bit more divided in this one. I would like to see Madrid give Barcelona a bit more of a game. Uh, do you have a kind of uh, a loyalty in that? Well, not loyalty, but a preference in those two teams. I mean, Madrid are the side you love to hate, aren't they? Um, and we've obviously had a number of battles both on and off the pitch with them so yeah I suppose the natural inclination would be to, to like Barcelona more in some way and especially with you know how the club is structured and uh, I've been doing quite a lot of research on the history of Spanish football recently and 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 there's a lot to admire about Barcelona in, in the way it's formed by its members and still owned by its members and and run for the fans uh, but of course so is Madrid one of four Spanish sides that are owned by the fans and the, the history of Madrid is not as black and white as as people like to paint it. Yes, uh, they they were under the influence of the Castilian elite and, and General Franco, and and there's a lot of there's a lot of revisionism about that. And and on the flip side of that, of course, uh, you know, there's the the very strong national sentiment of of Barcelona representing the, the Catalonian nation, and so some some very black and white political lines and pictures are drawn here and, and it's not as simple as that but you know, very long winded answer so yeah I, I, you know, I suppose the sympathies are with Barcelona on the other hand I've been to see Madrid a lot of times uh, there's a period in my life where I've spent a lot of time in Spain so and uh, you know I've been to the Bernabeu and, and watched them and sat in the posh seats and as well as uh, up in the gods and, and I enjoyed all those experiences Excellent so talking of football that isn't directly related to Manchester United to give it Man United link at Rio 35's attempt to bribe Seb Blatter with free tickets on Twitter were unsuccessful and the World Cup is not going to be in the home of football, good old Great Britain. You know you know that line from the Mrs. Merton show where she was interviewing Debbie McGee and she said, what first attracted you to the millionaire Paul Daniels? What first attracted FIFA to the two wealthiest nations bidding? Uh, number one and number three, I think, in, in natural resources Qatar and Russia pathetic display really rather transparent yeah um, and uh, you know I, I stuck on Twitter at sort of 8 a.m. and in the, the morning that uh, I, I suspected that Russia and Qatar would get it I mean you know it's the ultra cynical choice isn't it and um, the only thing the only the only surprise with Qatar of course is that there are some pretty strong rumors that China wants to bid and if FIFA stick to their rotation policy then China can't bid for 2026 although I, I think if it just came down to the economics and FIFA 
Execco, the, the very closed world that is, and the self-serving world that that is, decided China would be a good a good um, you know, a good fit for the 2026 World Cup. Given that, given that a lot of the Romantics' choices 2030 for Uruguay it probably won't happen. Very small country, but I know a lot of people would like to see it happen. It being the centenary of the World Cup, uh, maybe FIFA would just change their rules for 2026 and just have you know have it in China, probably unopposed in terms of the election. But you know, we'll see. I suppose that's years down the line. But yeah, totally corrupt, totally corrupt process. I don't suppose anyone should have been surprised. And I, I, to be honest, I, I, I was asked by the Manchester City magazine, the Match Day magazine last season. I did a sort of them and us piece and they and, and they asked me about the World Cup did I did I think England should bid and did I think England should get it and I said no on both counts I, I don't think England should have bothered I think there's some very entrenched views within FIFA about England and English football and I, I think until that organisation is reformed or reforms itself which seems very unlikely I don't see the point it's never going to happen somebody said to me a fairly intelligent and rational person said to me he sort of genuinely believes that England should just leave FIFA because it's it's doing us no good. I, I have to say, regardless of like, I would have loved the, the World Cup to come to England, not for any kind of national pride reasons, just because that would have been awesome. It would have been fantastic to have it in this country, you know, in the same country that I'm in. That would have been amazing. But Russia is clearly the least appropriate place in the world to host a World Cup, followed, well, except perhaps Qatar, where it is a million degrees uh, at that time of year. Well, well, all the analysis that, that done by, uh, I think it was one of the big accounting firms did, uh, did all the, the independent reports. And of course, then the, the, there was the FIFA reports as well. And, and all of those reports had the, the biggest amount of risk in both these coming I mean, Qatar's crazy you can't as uh, Chuck the very colourful Chuck Blazer the USA exec co said you can't air condition an entire country <laughs> <laughs> very true with, uh, with average summer temperatures at 110 degrees Fahrenheit that's 40 something in Celsius uh, yeah and very risky uh, they won't make the same kind of money in sponsorship and the fan fest but obviously there's a, 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 a whole pile of money elsewhere coming in you can be sure of that I, mean, I think the Qataris have promised to spend 45 billion on infrastructure and they're building like 10 stadiums that they're then going to ship off to Africa and other third world places that need stadiums like Liverpool <laughs> harsh but true oh god it, it just it just feels so dirty and grimy and and, and uh the guy on Twitter who said, yeah, England should just leave FIFA. Yeah, there's a, a you know, feeling that. I, I mean, I'm not a particularly an England fan. I'm, I'm not even that patriotic, really. But I, I, like you, I would like to see it in England because I think it would have been a fan. I remember Euro 96 very well. And, and uh, that was a really good feeling in the country at that time. And and that's actually, uh, if you've uh, ever read Soconomics, they, a very good analysis of, of World Cup bids. And uh, none of the countries ever make any money from doing it because you have to spend too much out actually probably would have made some money in England because there's almost no infrastructure needs to be built. But what you get is this kind of sense of national good feeling and that's what you're buying by getting the World Cup there. Yes, which would have gone nicely with David Cameron's uh, gross national happiness register. uh, Patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. I think it's closely followed the second last refuge of the scoundrel, FIFA. 
So uh, that works out nicely. I guess that probably brings us to the end of episode 50 of the Rankcast. Ed, these 50 episodes have been a, a real pleasure. I would like to very, very sincerely thank the people that have been supportive of Rankcast since the beginning. I'm, I'm thinking of a few people in, individually. If I don't mention your name and you're a devoted listener, please feel free to shout at us on, on Twitter at UTD Rankcast or shout on the uh, comments page of the United Rant or indeed put a comment on iTunes but I want to send a special shout out to at Happy Hero at Awate91 at Roy Keane's gum I think it's Roy underscore under key, underscore Keane's underscore gum uh, one of the truly great football Twitter accounts yeah and, and uh, to add to that I'd like to uh, good shout out to the, the Stretty Rant boys who I, I met up with this week for a drink uh, so it's Andy Frankos and Yolki Dorans Salomon and, and great bunch of lads um, who do a, a really good job producing some original content and I know they've got some good ideas for the website and it's really nice to meet them at the Socrates meetup so actually if you ever get the chance to, to visit London when Socrates is on uh, I would encourage you to come along to that there were a few non-bloggers there who just wanted to, to meet up but um, the, the, the biggest gathering of football nerds anywhere on the planet I'd say <laughs> I can't wait to uh, get the opportunity to come along to one of those. Big shout out to at Amplified to Rock uh, on Twitter. At, um, not at anything. Rob Diablo on the uh, United Rant page uh, always gives us a, a nice uh, comment or two. And yeah, everyone that's that's listening, it, it's 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 hugely appreciated because much as I would happily talk to you for half an hour a week about football, Ed, it's it's nice to have uh, a reason to do so. So so thanks to everyone who listens. And we won't be here next week for episode. 51 because I'm moving house and I'm not going to have any internet uh, so unless you want to get some special guest to replace me then uh, there's not going to be a Rankcast next well, week. Well, I might do that. If, if, if anyone wants to appear on Rankcast 51, drop me a line, editor at United Rant. And I think we should finish it on uh, our usual predictions. So uh, my prediction is that there's a, a nil-all draw at Blackpool because we're not playing. <laughs> and I think uh, I think United will make some significant changes for the Valencia game, but we are very strong at home and actually Valencia are not playing that well at the moment. So I'm going to predict a scoring draw of some kind, one all, 2 or something like that. Well, between the fact that we've not got a game on Saturday and it's a Tuesday evening game, so a good long time to recover, and the fact that finishing first in the group seems to be really important, I would have thought he might play a fairly good strength squad. And I think if he does, if the back four is Raphael, Vidic, Ferdinand and Patrice Evra, then I think we're going to win that game, especially if that's with Van der Sar in goal. I, I think I think we'd definitely be definitely have a good chance to win that game. I, I think the Tinker Man cannot help himself, and uh, there will be some significant changes. Well, yeah, but the the last game we played was against West Ham, so it's, he, he gets to tinker all he likes. This is true. This is true. All right, so um, I'll see you all in a fortnight, and Ed, you might be back next week if you can find someone to fill my shoes. Not hard, I have to say. Oh no, um, you do a fine job. You do a fine job. Fifty strong, and and uh, I'm sure we'll make it to a hundred and beyond. And uh, yeah, thank you again, listeners. <laughs>